Today on Lockdown Red Wings, we are going to recap the weekend's games, the loss of the Blackhawks in overtime, and then the dominating win over the Anaheim Ducks, thanks to just the, the hot start of Dominic Kubelik. You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I am a podcast producer for the Daily J, a WWJ news radio podcast. Scotty is the host over at Lockdown Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. Red Wings played two games this weekend, came away with a win and an overtime loss. But the key element of that, that sentence there, Scotty, is the fact that they don't have a regulation loss yet. Still big fat goose egg in that department as they are 3-0-2 to start the season eight of a possible 10 points. We're going to talk about both of these games that occurred this weekend. Um, we'll start here in the first segment, though, with the game against the Blackhawks that they lost in overtime. Blew a two-goal lead, had two two-goal leads in this game, but ultimately couldn't hold on to it, ended up losing. It was a wild game from start to finish. A lot of black back and forth. There was six penalties for the Red Wings, seven against the Chicago Blackhawks. There's a shorthanded goal, power play goal, a penalty shot goal. There was a little bit of everything, some things you liked, some things you hated. Scotty, what did you see that stood out to you the most in the game against the Blackhawks? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is is the unavoidable conversation of like you, you should have left the weekend with four points and you left it with three. And like I, I know that at the end of the day, you're 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 sitting in a fantastic situation. What is that? Eight of ten points, possible points so far this yeah. year. Like, like you're 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 doing well. Everything's you know good. Uh, we don't need to dwell on it or anything. But like objectively, you you lost a point. Like you or, or you you didn't lose a point, but. You didn't capitalize. You, you you should have had two points on Friday's game, and uh, and you blew it. That's that's the biggest thing that jumps out of you. You choke a two goal lead away from a bad Chicago Blackhawks team. Like this is not a. I know it's a rivalry, and the the you know the arena was rocking, and there was the Detroit sucks chance and everything, and everybody hates losing to the Blackhawks as is when they're good. When they're terrible, it stings a little bit more even to not only lose to them, but blow a two-goal lead and lose to them. Really not a good feeling. I was pretty upset after the game, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was, I was a not a very happy camper. That was a that was a really, really frustrating loss. But to turn back around in the very next game, dominate, and we'll talk about the Ducks game on its own later, but it's a really nice bounce back and, and something that I don't think this team – of the last couple of years necessarily does. I think the, the old Red Wings teams kind of spiral and let that loss really get to them. And they didn't, which is good, but it's still really frustrating and still a point that they left on the table and that they should have been able to have. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't think Ned was very good at the end of the game. I don't think really anybody was very good at the end of the game. I, I think the end of the last half, the last 10 minutes of the third period was very much flashbacks to like the Blaschel, oh, we're up two goals. Let's just kind of chill and just be really like dump and chase about it. And let's just kind of sit back and try and play defense. And we'll be super, super conservative offensively and not really 
care and it and it and it cost them. And I that's not a reoccurring theme. I don't think that's something that Lalone is trying to implement. I think that was just yeah. the ebb and flow of the game, and it's unfortunate. But I, mm-hmm. I I think that that's what happened. Yeah. Well, so I completely agree with you. Obviously, we tend to usually agree on these types of things. But uh, about halfway through the game, it felt like the tables were beginning to turn. The Red Wings left the first period up two to nothing. I would actually go back to the first period when Dylan Larkin got hurt. Um, and he left the ice, went to the locker room, like hunched over in pain. And it looked like it was a real serious injury. It, it felt as if the Red Wings lost a lot of steam. And I mean, that's reflected in the expected goals for percentage in this game at five on five. I mean, Red Wings had the edge in the first. And as the game went on, the Blackhawks, the lowly Blackhawks, as we call them. And of course, I, I called it at the end of the episode with Jack Bushman. We were all predicting the Red Wings win, even Jack himself. But uh, I made the joke, like, we all predicted the Red Wings to win, so they'll end up losing. And obviously they did. That last half of the third period, that last 10 minutes, as you put it, the Red Wings were on their heels, man. That yep. last minute, they were in the Red Wings zone, firing shots away. And I, I, I was hanging out with my buddy that night, and I told him, I'm like, I'm going to be happy. Not happy is not the right word. I'm going to breathe a sigh of relief if the Red Wings get out of the third period with a point because they're playing so poorly right now. And they were. Now, there were some bright spots in that moment, too. Obviously, Dominic Kubelik and Hugh Suter going back to Chicago after just serving. Uh, Kubelik had three years. Suter had one year with uh, Chicago Blackhawks. They both got a goal. Kubelik also had another assist in that game as well. He's continued to play well, and we will talk about him <laughs> in the Ducks game. Um, and obviously, Larkin had a power play goal. The power play continued to, to build steam, and it came to a head again in the Ducks game. So there were good things in this game to talk about, but they really... Ten, they really lost momentum as the game went on. Chicago took over, and this is not a Blackhawks team that has any right to take over the game. Um, but again, in the end, you know, like Ken Cal said in his season preview with us, you know, good teams when they lose, they get a point. And you know, you lost to the Blackhawks, which stinks, but you got a point. So you stole a point from the I Kings. Feel like that's different, though. Yeah. So you stole a point from the Kings. And the Blackhawks stole a point from you. Right. Here that, you are. That's fair. Yeah, you probably you, you probably even it out if you say, "Oh, you should have lost the LA game. We should have won the Blackhawks game." But yeah, I I view like the oh, if you're gonna lose, you'd be losing overtime as as I don't know, like close back and forth games or games that you're down one late in the third. Like you you choked two goals away. Yes. like that's just like there's there's nothing around that. Like you that that was a that was a really really poor ending to that hockey game. And again, it's, it's frustrating. It can't happen. It was really bad hockey, but the next time they took the ice, they dominated. So short memory, really all you can ask for, I guess, in how they responded to the game. But yeah, a really ugly end to the game. I mean, there were, there were positives in the game too, though. Like you said, I think the special teams just really stepping up and we'll talk about them. Like you said, again, later in the ducks game as well. Yeah, except they the were... shorthanded goal. They let up, but <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. But the, the success rate of the special teams so far is so it's just night and day. Like it's so yeah. blatantly different from not only last year, but the last five years of special teams on this team. It's, it's just, it's so blatantly different. It's so reassuring. It's really nice to see. Um, I, I think other just like news and notes, Raymond on the second line on against Chicago and remained on the second line. Yeah. On, on Sunday, um, looked really good. Uh, I thought until the very end of the game when 
He had a really, really bad turnover that, I mean, we can call a spade a spade. It cost us the game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, frustrating loss, really frustrating loss. But to be able to to turn around and punch the next team you face in the mouth is is kind of reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also – so Raymond did look – obviously he had that – tough turnover to end the game really in overtime, but he looked good in that game. He was I one of the so better too. forwards in that game. And I was a little concerned when they moved him down to line number two because of the chemistry that he has with Larkin, but he hasn't really seemed to miss a step. I know people are, are, are chomping at the bit for him to start getting on the score sheet with goals. It's going to come guys. Like he's fine. Like watch him off the puck. He looks good. He's going to, he's going to be there, but really I want to shout out the Chicago Blackhawks game. And even some in this game too, the fourth line in the Chicago Blackhawks game of Pew Suter, Joe Valeno, and Adam Ernie looked great. They're the best um, possession-wise on the score sheet as well. At five on five, they had the best relative and just not into overall uh, expected goals for percentage. So best shot attempts, shot attempts out of the entire team on the ice and just like relative off the ice as well. They were all over the place. They looked really good. Obviously, Pew Suter had that goal as well. Um, and then... It looked really they, and so they looked so good that, and we'll talk about it in the Ducks game. They moved up to line number three. That became line number three against the Ducks, and they again looked really good. Joe Valeno had a goal, so there were positives to take away from this. Olimata got another point. He extended his hot start as well. So, um, did David offensive Perron get a point? juggernaut, Olimata. Yeah, right, dude. David Perron did not get a point in this game. It looks like, and I'm just so used to him getting points now. But he did get points in the game against the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah. So, I mean. And again, we'll talk about this in the Anaheim Ducks game. When you're looking at these positive takeaways, it cannot be overstated how good the new acquisitions have been for the Detroit Red Wings. Ben Sherratt, too, in that Ducks game. And we'll talk again. We'll talk about it. I should get to an ad before I start. I I think the biggest thing is even with the loss on Friday, the one thing that has been constant all season so far is like the this offense has been legit. And, like, the special teams has been really good. The even strength has been really good. The goal totals have been really solid. The shot totals have been really solid. Like, this offense has been really good and has put up legitimate goal totals in every game so far this season. Uh, So, I I think that that is the most apparent thing to me so far. And as we get further and further into the season, that continues to hold up. So, that's a really reassuring thing because – we know that the defense at some points this season is going to have its nebs and flows and is going to struggle. Uh, we, I mean, Ned hasn't really had a very super great performance yet. So, like, we, we know that there are going to be some times when we give up decently high goal totals, but it's nice to know that there's at least a chance that this offense can outscore almost anybody put in front of them, and that's what it looks like so far this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they haven't let they haven't scored less than three goals in a game yet, which is yeah. incredible to think about considering where this team was last year. And granted, right. five games in, but that's still a really good start to the season, and you can build off that. Um, absolutely. Just like you can build off the safety that Simplisafe provides you. Uh, the numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. You will know because Simply Safe is just so they all the cameras, all the pieces they provide you, you're going to feel safe and secure in your own house. They protect you with cutting edge security technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. Here's why you're going to love it. 
With 24-7 professional monitoring, SimpliSafe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or can't be reached. SimpliSafe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door. HD security cameras for inside and outside your home, smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Their monitoring experts use proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a break-in is real so you can get the highest priority police dispatch. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash lockdown NHL. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com forward slash locked on NHL to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Segment two, Locked on Red Wings podcast. Scotty and I are going to transition now to talking about the, the exciting win, the one that's fresh on our minds. We want to get away from the overtime loss, the blown lead, get that out of our minds. Let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks win because they routed the Ducks. Five to one, a complete performance. Wonderful to see. I mean, Scotty, I'm going to let you, I have two, two things that I want to lead off with. And I'm going to let you decide which one we lead off with. Do we talk about Dominic Kubalik or just continue to talk about how great the special teams have been? I want to start with the special teams as a whole. Okay, let's go. It, I mean, it's been phenomenal. And and the cool part is, is it's it hasn't, at least especially the last few games, it hasn't been like a one or the other thing either. Like they've both been really clicking the last, what, two or three games. I know they started off, they didn't have a power play goal in the first couple of games, but uh, this game was a power play, I mean, masterclass. Well, they have three, three, three power, power play, play goals. goals yep. Just absolute domination. Um, and that's how good teams are made. The, you know, five on five hockey is the the – variance between the top and bottom of five on five hockey is not a lot at the NHL level. These are all really talented dudes. So you have to take advantage of the special teams. You have to take advantage of five of, of the power play. And that's what truly separates the good teams from the bad teams. Absolutely. If you look, Ken Cal talked about it, actually, I'm pretty sure when you look at, at the end of the season, it's not just, Oh, the best teams have like, all of the the best players or have some perfect power play system. And that's why those are at the top. No, it's a direct correlation. Like the, the teams that score more when they have a whole man advantage <laughs> are the better team because True. they are scoring when they have more players on the ice, they're taking advantage of power play opportunities. And that's, that's how it works. And like, so to see a, a, single game where the Detroit Red Wings power play scored three goals. And then we still have a perfect penalty kill, right? Five games in, I don't know. Like it's obviously the perfect penalty kill won't last. And and I'm sure we'll go through ups and downs of the power play this year, but it's still objectively, it is very clearly different than the last few years and is very clearly better and in a better place and a better system and whatever you want to say, it, it is night and day. It, it's a, it's a feel thing. It's a eye test thing. It's a stats thing. Everything. It just, it's, it, it feels way different. The special teams done does now than it has in a long time. 
speaking first about the power play, when the season started and they started off not being able to get a power play goal, I was saying on our podcast that they still looked good. They were moving the puck well. They just were struggling to finish. And they were, but they were shooting the puck too. You know, they're getting good yeah. opportunities. They just wasn't finding the back of the net. And it seems like over the last couple of games, they figured it out. You obviously had that first uh, power play goal by David Perron. Then you're Dylan Larkin's power play goal against Chicago. Coming into the game against the Anaheim Ducks, you were 26 in the league in power play goals. You only had two out of, I think, 12 chances or whatever you had. Well, then you scored three power play goals in this game. You're now all the way up to 15th in the league. And that also speaks to how early this season is, that three power play goals, which is a lot, guys. Three power play goals is insane in one game. That's yeah. nutty. But that launched you all the way up from 26th to 15th in the league. And again, early in the season, but that's that's right the where you want to be. You want to be in the top half of the league with both your power play and penalty kill if you want to go places. Yeah, now your well, power again, play. That's that's including uh, first whatever it was two games of the season going over. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if if you're if you chalk that up to a slow start and and feel like you're going to get not that you're going to get three goals every single time out there, obviously, <laughs> but. You know, if, if if you think that uh, if you think that that middle of the pack kind of seventeenth to fourteen, thirteen, maybe even range is somewhat sustainable, then like that's a great sign, yeah. Well, and also like your total, your goals for per game right now is is straight three, and that yeah. is such an important thing. The fact that you're scoring goals not just on the power play but at five on five, like teams that score three goals at minimum are going to win more games than not. Because your goals against right now is 240. And you want that to be under. I mean, obviously, you want one to be over and one to be under. But those are those are numbers that were flipped last season. You couldn't score three goals. And you couldn't stop three goals. And now, <laughs> right now, through five games of the season, like you look like a completely different team. And going into the penalty kills, obviously, you have 100%. So you're tied for first in the league with, I think, just St. Louis and the Islanders, who also have 100%. Yeah. I think they uh, said there was kill. Only, they said on the broadcast, to which the ESPN broadcast on Sunday's game was pretty brutal, to be honest with you. Um, it was it was really bad. Like, like we don't have to get into it because we have so much to talk about from the game, but, like, their system wasn't working. They're, they're yeah, really they're, they had mics pieces. cutting what, in and out. It was, I mean, it was it was not... Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was there was a lot of reasons it, it was not great. But to, to the point, they did say some of um, I, I think. Yeah, I think they said that we were only one of two or three, I guess, teams that were still at 100 percent of the power play. Yeah, yeah. Power and I mean, kill. and what's made the penalty kill so successful is something that is so wild to me because my entire life I was raised. And again, I only played house hockey my entire career, so it's not like I have like a ton of experience you win tonight. But- we did uh, four to three in overtime against huh, the team big that time we, players make big time plays, baby. I yeah, my big time play was intentionally benching myself in overtime because I provide no offense. <laughs> <laughs> I they're like fish, you want to go out? I'm like, you're good, you got this. And then we won. So um, I think you should <laughs> win player of the game for a move like that. right. Uh, the the thing that makes the penalty kill so good is they're so aggressive, and that's that flies yeah. in the face of everything I've ever learned. Like. Penalty kills, you want to play, you know, you want to play the box, the diamond in the zone, and you want to keep them to the outside. Don't let them get shots on the inside. But they just straight up, and teams will figure this out eventually, I'm sure, but they straight up, guy gets the puck, they go straight at him, and it doesn't give the player time to think and make the pass. They're so used to having time in the zone to make a play that when they don't, they just cough it up. And the Redmonds have had two or three opportunities on the power or on the penalty kill. Rasmussen made a nice play to get in alone with the goalie. Pew Suter had a breakaway. Both were shorthanded because they've been playing so aggressive, and that's what's led to them this early success. Now, assuming they can continue to adjust when teams adjust to them, 
that'll continue that success. But they've looked really good on special teams. And they've looked at good at five-on-five five as a whole. Their offense is just kicking ass. Their depth has been so good, Scotty. I mean, you lost Bertuzzi and you lost Verana. And Kubelik slid up there on the first line. And we'll talk about Kubelik in the third segment. So don't you forget. We're going to talk about him. But you, you move Perron up there on the second line to fill that hole. And Zadina up there on the second line. Perron was already on the second line. Sorry. We move Zadina up there on that second line. And he's looked fine. He's looked good. He's He's been getting chances. He just can't. I needs to buy a goal. It's the same thing as last year. He's playing really, really well off the puck. But, man, he cannot buy a goal offensively. I think but he's looked good this he's week. Good. Like I really did think yeah. that those were two of the better games we've seen from him in a while. It's just he literally cannot not buy a, a bucket. Like he cannot hit the back of the net. But it's just so refreshing that, you know, obviously you lose Jacob Verona to the player assistance program and you, you know, take as much time as you need to get back. And Tyler Bertuzzi, I'm assuming broken wrist. I don't know. They never told you upper body. He blocked a shot. Upper up body wrist. injury, Brian. Yeah. But he's gone for four to six re- uh, weeks. But these players, they stepped up, they slid up, and those lines are still producing. And that just, you cannot overstate how important the acquisitions that Steve Eisenman made in the offseason. Kubelik's been incredible. Perron's been incredible. Cop hasn't really shown up on the score sheet, but he's been good on the defensive zone. He's been good as a second-line center. I mean, outside of face-offs, which we also have to talk about, Dave looked electric. But we got to get to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Dominic Kubelik and we'll try and finish up. We got a lot. There's so many things we can talk about from the Anaheim game alone. But I don't know if we're going to get to all of them. But hey, we have an off day on Monday. So we can get to that for uh, that episode, that recording. Uh, when we come back, Dominic Kubelik. Segment three, Locked on Red Wings podcast. Uh, Scotty, I ranted there to end segment two. So why don't you take us away with Dominic Kubelik? I, I know you got a pretty fuzzy feeling in your gut right now. Man, I, I just, he is everything that we talked about in the offseason. Like when we brought this guy in and I remember you and I had a conversation. We were talking about, oh, who are our favorite signings? Who are our favorite people we brought in? And mine was Kubelik. And this is exactly why. And, like, obviously he's not going to maintain uh, whatever he's got, like a 1.3 points a game or something ridiculous right now. I think he's got eight and five. But um, he is going to lead the team in shots as a forward, like, every night. And it's awesome. And, and yes, he's going to have, you know, two, three-game stretches where he doesn't score a goal and, and whatnot. But this dude grips it and rips it. Like, he's going to have three, four, five shots – as a winger every single night. And it is awesome. I I cannot stress how much I love it because so many times last year, we were yelling our TVs, shoot the freaking puck, shoot somebody shoot. And the passiveness from that era. And just like the whole last two years, the passiveness of the offense and and, and whatnot, he he's going to go in there. And if he even has a slight opening even on an ounce of daylight he's gonna he's gonna let it rip and and that's exactly what we're seeing and obviously again the production so far has been unbelievable with eight points in five games but I even when he's not putting up points like there's gonna be stretches where you know he goes whatever a couple of games three games in a row without recording a point and I'm still gonna be very pleased at him and, and what he provides this team as long as the shot totals are still up. And that's what he does. And that's what I fully expect him to continue to do. And I think that's why he's so dynamic and such an important asset for this team. I, I, I cannot stress how much I, I adore Dominic Kubalik and, and what he's provided so far this season. He is, like I said, when we were talking in the off season and 
talking about his role on the team and what he'll bring. He has fit that bill exactly. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe the Chicago Blackhawks saw la- less success from him because they're asking more out of him than he he is. Like the Red Wings seem to deploy him in a very specific manner that is exactly like that j- exactly plays to his strengths as just a pure shooter. And we talked about it with uh, Jack Bushman about like Jay Fresh's card and talking about how like that that's what he is. He scores a lot when he shoots the puck, right. and so putting him in positions to score is going to be rewarded more times than not. And I mean, he's got eight points in five games. I think it's the second fastest start a player has had as in a tenure at the Red Wings since like Paul Coffey in the nineties, which is it. incredible company to be in. So he's, he's been, you know, I wouldn't even say he's been at as advertised. I, say, I would say he's better than as advertised. I mean, we talked about him as a player that Steve Eisenman took a flyer on somebody who, um, you know, had 30 goals, but has seen less success the last couple of years. And so far, I mean, was it four? Now he's got four goals. He had a three point night tonight. He's he's just been so dynamic for the Detroit. I, w- I wouldn't even say dynamic, honestly. He's not really. In, I don't even think he has been that dynamic. He's really good at one thing, and he just keeps doing that one thing, and he keeps getting rewarded for it. And that's just so what's so what's great about him. What's so great about him? Same thing can be said about David Perron. I mean, David Perron's in a he's very so similar good. vein where you deploy him. Now, David Perron's a lot more dynamic than Kubelik, where he at five on five, he excels as well. He's a, he's a great player um, just in general, but on the power play especially, he's also got a cannon of a one-timer. He knows to get how to get open, and he's a great passer at that. So it's he's just those two guys, you bring them in to score goals, and they've done just that. It's really refreshing to see that success. So, I mean, obviously, David Perron had another power, I think, a power play goal in this game as well. Mm-hmm. Kubelik had a power play goal. Larkin had a power play goal. Can't come playing in this game. He looked good, of course. You want to see that out of your captain. I think he had the first goal. He did. First he had second. the opening goal, yeah. Yeah, the opening um, goal. He had that was a power play. It was just, uh, for, I mean, also kind of a scare on Friday. Like, yeah. if we could just go two weeks without somebody cross-checking Larkin in the back, that'd be awesome. We haven't yeah. gone two weeks without that since, like, Obama was president. Like this, it, it's ridiculous, dude. It's so ridiculous. It's it's been like that for the last three years. Like he just keeps getting cross checked in the lower back over and over again. It's so annoying. Yeah. So nice to see everything's out. fine, and and he was out there and no restrictions, and he was totally fine, thankfully. But golly, man. It was nice to see the Redwoods get rewarded as well. Um, Oscar Sundquist had a nice assist on the Dominic Kubelik goal. He's the one who set him up for that power play goal. Uh, Elmer Soderblom going to the net, uh, bouncing it home off a second chance from Michael Rasmussen. So it's nice to see that those players are still getting rewarded, even though they got slid down to the fourth line. Um, face-offs, that's a big thing. That's where a lot of the Red Wings struggles have come in, and we haven't really talked about it. We should have talked about that in segment one because that was a huge reason why they lost that game against the Blackhawks. Yeah. I mean – 100 career points for Sunquist, by the way. Good for him, man. Shout out. Good for him. Shout out. Uh, the Red Wings in this game, face-off percentage, better than the Ducks, which is why they – well, not why. There's a lot of reasons why, but that helps oh. them win the game. For sure. So you got to win face-offs. And the big struggle is the Red Wings have four centers that are all left-handed. So in situations you prefer right-handed, they just don't have that option. So – it's just, it's been an issue for the Red Wings. They're going to have to find a way to adjust or find a right-handed winger who can just take the face-offs. Cause if they can't, then, you know, you're in for some hurt later on in that regard, because look at it. The Red Wings scored a goal, winning a face-off in the Blackhawks game. I think the game tying goal was off a face-off. They lost in the defensive zone. 
You got to win faceoffs. You got to get initial possession. That's huge. So I just wanted to bring that up because they've been struggling in the faceoff dot. In fact, I would recommend you guys to go subscribe to Sean Shapiro's um, newsletter. He is, um, I think he's freelance right now. He's just got a, he's just got his own little uh, blog post going, but his newsletter is great. He's very insightful. He just wrote an article about this very topic. Um, and it's great. So I would recommend you guys to go follow him on Twitter, Sean, Sean Shapiro and follow his work. Cause it, it, it went re- really in depth on that. He also did an article about Sherat and cider. Speaking of which, um, I thought Sherat is just, I thought he looked great in the game against the ducks. He is a menace, man. Uh, the amount of hits the Red Wings had, the Red Wings out hit heavily the Ducks. It wasn't just him, but him especially. The the physicality from the Red Wings, I think, had the Ducks playing a little bit scared. Man, sure. Uh, like, I'm going to keep saying it. I have yet to have the Sherratt taketh away. And, like, I'm sure it's yeah. coming. And, and, like, everybody, every team that he's played for, their hosts of the Locked On or, or their, you know, like, fan base has made it very clear that like he'll have his his ups and he'll have his downs but I think Ben Sherratt's been fantastic so far this season and I think that one of the big reasons is because of a the physicality he brings and I'm sure he'll get burned on it at some points this season but I, I just I think that pairing him with Cider is just a match made in heaven for where oh, yeah. they're both at in their careers and, and I could not be happier with what that pair has done and, and been so far this season so uh, yeah, I, I I continue to be impressed by Ben Sherratt. And again, I'm, you know, we're five games into a four-year deal, so like I'm gonna hold off <laughs> on like the long-term implications of everything. But five games in, he's looking pretty darn good. I mean, so far he has been proof that sometimes the analytics don't tell the full story. Um, I mean, you know, we, I mean, I especially, and I'll I'll own up to it. Again, five games in, there's a lot left to be proven. But I especially was critical of that signing uh, by Steve Eisman. Four years, like four and a half million. I was like, that's it. For a guy who everyone we've spoken to is like, why would you do that? It's been, he's been really great. And he has been, like I said, proof that sometimes the analytics don't tell the full story. So far, at least. Um, Lindstrom and Hronik and uh, Haig, I thought in the game against the Ducks. And again, it was just all around domination. Everyone looked good. But I want to give a special shout out because Hronik looked stellar in the offensive zone wasn't really rewarded for it on the score sheet but he was mixing it up he was getting free making space making things happen he looked great defensively Lindstrom and Haig looked great in fact if if I recall they were the best on the defense at expected goals four percentage relative so compared to their teammates they were the best players at creating and defending against shots against compared to their teammates phenomenal stuff Gustav with a plus 43% and then Haig with plus 38%. Pew Suter, Adam Ernie. This is what you love to see. You look at expected goals, four percentage relative Scotty, and you would expect your top line players to be up there. I mean, you kind of hope they would be, but you love the fact that if I'm going down the list right now, Gustav Lindstrom, Robert Haig, Pew Suter, Adam Ernie, by the way, Adam Ernie, another guy who's looked fantastic. So he, I, like I said before, I think he understands his role maybe in jeopardy, being like that, like he might be that next guy once Fabry gets healthy and Bertuzzi and Verona get healthy. So he's been playing out of his mind. His effort level is so good. He's been rewarded for it every single time. Elmer Soderblom, Joe Valeno, Michael Rasmussen, Oscar Sundquist. You don't get a top six forward until David Perron in that game against the Ducks. Who scored? <laughs> Who scored? Like that is awesome to see. Like Absolutely. You, the fact that your depth pieces are were the best players on your team 
in a five to one win is really reassuring to see. Obviously, now the flip side to that is like, why weren't your best players playing that well? They all played well. They all really played yeah. well. I mean, Larkin and Peron scored, man. <laughs> I mean, right? It was great. So, I'm, again, that was all at five on five. But that was just it, it was a really reassuring to see. And also, I think, for whatever it's worth, th- that Ducks defense, I'll, I'll tell you what, that Ducks defense is treacherous. Oh, yeah. That was brutal, dude. That I mean, seriously, like, we talk about, like, we, we know bad defenses. We saw it last year. And, like, we know that there's still some issues they're ironing out this season. But, like, that, I mean, that Ducks defense is brutal and gibson is unbelievable and oh, like it's, it's really disappointing i guess <laughs> like if you're a ducks fan to watch that great of a goalie performance he, you know he still gave up five like but he faced 41 shots right yeah really disheartening but that defense is atrocious so like they're they're still gonna be i don't think we have to worry about uh you know there's a lot of red wings fans that don't really like the ducks or zegras because of last year so I don't think we'll have to worry about them being too competitive this year. Uh, if you fall into that camp, but yeah, that that we play them again relatively soon. Like in the next couple of weeks, we play them again already. So, um, yeah, that that hopefully two more points because that was that that defense is is pretty freaking brutal. Um, yeah. So that brings me to my final point um, about your opponents, the Red Wings opponents so far. But before I get to that, I do want to also shout out Billy Huso who did make 30-plus saves in this game, only yeah, letting one solid. goal. So, I mean, despite the fact that the Red Wings dominated on the score sheet, he did face 30 shots, and he did show up big again. He's taken another step forward towards that 1A role here early in the season. Um, but you got to also keep in mind when you're looking at the Red Wings record, and I don't want to, like, bring everybody down because it was eight points in 10 games is great, no matter how you slice it. Because every, you know, it's whatever game, every night, that's what makes hockey great, any given night, right? But... Four of the first five opponents Red Wings have faced likely are not going to be going to the playoffs. And it's a strong likely. (laughs) I mean, you played the Canadiens who are trying to tank for Bedard. You played the Devils who are trying to take a step forward, but just probably aren't going to be there this year. You got the Kings who are a bona fide threat in the Pacific Division. And you uh, you got a point from them. You stole a point from them, which was a great game. You lost in overtime to the Blackhawks, who are another team that's probably going to be trying for Bedard. And might be trying trading away Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, but that's not necessarily relevant to this conversation. And then you played the Anaheim Ducks, who are another team that is going through a rebuild. I don't really know what where in the rebuild the Ducks are because they took a weird step forward last year and then collapsed at the end. So I don't know where they're at, but they're not a playoff contender. So when you look at the record and it's okay to get excited, I'm excited. You're going to ride this wave as long as possible. Keep in mind that they haven't really been challenged by a top end opponent outside of LA yet. You haven't played your Tampa Bays and your Toronto's who are for some reason down there in the standings of the division cold starts for both those teams. But you know, you haven't played your Vegas's yet. You haven't played your Calgary's yet. You haven't played your Florida's. You haven't played your Washington's or your Pittsburgh's. Like those are the teams so that you need to watch out for. Do you want to hear the next five? Go for it. New Jersey Tuesday again. Okay. Then it's Boston, Minnesota, Buffalo, Washington, and then the Islanders. Buffalo's out to a hot start, too. I think they're, like, second in the division right now. That is a – well, and then even after that's the Rangers. So, like, yeah. you have you have the Devils on Tuesday, and then after that, your next five opponents after the Devils are, are Boston, Minnesota, Buffalo, Washington, the Islanders, and the Rangers. Like, yeah. that's – And that, both I mean, Buffalo that's and a, the that's Islanders. That's going to be an eye-opening stretch there to see how – 
legit the start of the season has been for sure. Well, then let me turn this on its head. You know, I'm being negative about, oh, they're getting points against bad teams. It's important to get those points against bad teams. Yeah, that's like, how you succeed. That's, that's how you you're, succeed. you're not going to be able to beat every good team. That's yes. obviously. Even the best teams don't beat the other best teams every time exactly. they play them. That's why they're the best teams. Like, you, you, the reason they have a ton of points is because they take care of business against bad teams. So, can't ask like, for anything more, but... Uh, I'm very, very intrigued about what's going to happen over the next six or seven mm -hmm. games for sure. So, yeah, we'll find out very shortly, like, how good this Red Wings team is, but it's very vital to get every point you can as fast as you can. Like, the Red Wings are yeah. getting themselves. Yeah, like, like, New Jersey becomes, like, instantly much more important, weirdly, just because of how tough the next five games yeah. after it are. Exactly. Um, that does it for me, man. You got any final thoughts? Yeah, so I want to need Steve Eisman. Here's how you fix the face-off problem, all right? I'm going to phone. You're going to call Dallas, okay? You're going to say, you know what? You have a friend of ours, and we want him to come back home. Luke Glendening, back oh. in the wheel. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I like it. What, what's my role on the team, Derek? You're going to win us face-offs, Luke. That's what you're going to do. All right. We'll be back on Tuesday with a new episode. Same time, same place. It's your team. Every day. Every day.